Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life and Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Countdown and Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only, Anthony Denmark, Denmark's like the country. And as usual, since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, we have a lot of things to talk about on tonight's show. Now, of course, I typically try to pack a lot of things in tonight's show, and so we're going to see if my ambitions are going to be able to yield some success. Now, tonight's show, we have a lot on tap. We're going to talk about Ohio State's spring game. What are some of our impressions from it? And also, of course, we're going to talk about the latest happenings in college football as well. But our main topic on today's show, we're going to be talking about one more chance. In 1994, rapper, known mostly as Notorious B.I.G., came out with this song called One More Chance. And, of course, I'm more than sure it's a song that a lot of people know quite well. Now, of course, we're not going to talk about the lyrics of the song. We're not going to talk about the sales of the song. What we're going to do is talk about the message of the song and see how we can try to correlate the message of the song, and we're going to combine it with some similarities that I've noticed and what's going on in college football today. So, of course, we'll talk football. But our main topic is I'm going to ask this question, and I want to see at the end of the show if you're able to understand the conclusions that I draw. On Twitter, on Instagram, I posted, I said, what do Bill O'Reilly, Aaron Hernandez, Biggie, Tupac, Roll Tide Nation, Buckeyes have in common? Well, of course, all these people were able to yield a tremendous amount of success. And in the case of the programs, Roll Tide and Buckeye, they, of course, have won their fair share of games, their fair share of national championships, and have sent a number of players to the league to be able to fulfill their lifelong dream of being able to provide for their families. Now, of course, all these things appear to be very different, but actually have a lot of things in common. I don't want to dive too much into it right now, but I will just give you a glimpse. What I want to talk about specifically is about, of course, this week, Aaron Hernandez lost his life. He died. In addition to that, he, of course, played for the Florida Gators. He was coached by Urban Meyer. Also, of course, on the same week, um, the individual who killed Will Smith, who, of course, played for Ohio State, was sentenced to uh, 25 years in prison. And these two situations, of course, you look at both of these young men who, of course, died far before their time. But you have to point and look at the culture not just specifically at these two prospective programs at Florida and at Ohio State, but also in regards to college football as a whole. And you have to ask and pose yourself the question is, 
is the blood of the victims of Aaron Hernandez on the hands of Urban Meyer, on the hands of the University of Florida, and on the hands of the NCAA. Because when you really think about it, the only way that players who find themselves oftentimes getting in trouble on campus, being able to make it to the point where they're able to be eligible for the draft after three years, is somebody's had to turn the blind eye. And we know, of course, records have shown us that definitely at Florida, that 2018, although, of course, it may go down in history as one of the greatest teams of all time, Urban Meyer definitely did turn a blind eye. But nevertheless, Urban Meyer signed along. Of course, today we saw that uh, former Alabama player, I think it was Aries Quanjo, was found partially clothed in a field of grass begging for the police to shoot him. Six foot seven, three hundred twenty-seven pounds. Of course, he now plays for the Buffalo Bills. But you begin to ask the question. Of course, that is definitely a very odd situation. But again, like I said to you guys before, were there signs of these type of issues possibly present while they were playing college football? And because Quantro, of course, played a key role in Nick Saban winning his fourth national title or in the case of Aaron Hernandez, who played a key role in Urban Meyer being able to finally ascend up to the top of the college football world, did they turn a blind eye? And as a cost of turning a blind eye, have there been a trail of victims that have had to suffer because their athletic abilities were just so amazing, so jaw-dropping, that you know what? It was just too important for us to possibly consider the impact that this young man or young men are having on the college football programs, on the college campuses that they're at, and also, of course, on the world, period. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. But, of course, we don't want this to be a somber moment. Now, of course, we do know that right now we're definitely in the spring season, spring game season. You know, the practices are going on. We know at this particular time a lot of teams are trying to find out how their depth chart is going to be figured out. We do know also that at this particular time, players who may, of course, may not have had a chance because the player before then either declared for the draft or graduated. But nevertheless, we do know that spring is a great time to get a lot of questions answered and also be able to reveal a lot of questions that still have to get answered. Now, of course, I'm from originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Now, in Nashville, I used to go to Wendy's, which was near Vanderbilt, and they also gave away spring game tickets with the purchase of each meal. So I was always excited to get an opportunity to get a glimpse of what college football was like. But boy, oh, boy, I definitely do wish I was in Columbia, Columbus, as they gave out spring game tickets for $5, and 82,000 people happily purchased them and was got a chance to witness the state of the Ohio State program, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. And it was a wonderful experience, specifically for a young man who got an opportunity to score a touchdown. But to be able to find out what we think or how we should grade what we saw in that spring game was the game ended 31-28. Let's go ahead and get Thomas Gerlach on the line. He covers the Ohio State Buckeyes with find out what his impressions are, find out what his thoughts are, and find out what his expectations are after the spring game. 
Let me go ahead and get them on the line. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. How are you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know this past week, weekend, Ohio State had their spring game. 82,500 people came, and in fact, I had $5. I definitely would have found a way to come as well. But, of course, this spring game was something that was very important specifically for the offensive side of the ball. We do know specifically on the defensive side, at least at the line, there is very few questions. However, at the wide receiver spot, the spot that may be the most important position uh, that needs to find some answers, that haven't had answers since Kevin Smith, uh, of course, uh, won a national championship with the Buckeyes two years ago. Uh, did we get some of those questions answered in the spring game? I think we got a glimpse of what the potential will be for the offense uh, under new uh, coordinator Kevin Wilson, which is most of Buckeye Nation salivating. Um, we saw a lot from the number two and 2A quarterbacks, and we definitely saw a lot from the receivers. So uh, they passed for, what, over 500 yards whatever. But, you know, it's a spring game, a lot of uh, – designed plays, two-hand touch for the better part of the game. So uh, it's hard to really take too much from it, but it definitely looked like Wilson's uh, fingerprints are on this offense now. And I look forward to be more balanced in the fall than it has been for the last couple of years. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, every free game has, I guess, stars. And one of the biggest stars that's trying to brightest at least on the offensive side of the ball in my own case was uh, Johnny Dixon, who is the epitome of perseverance. He came to Ohio State as a four-star wide receiver. However, he got decimated with injuries. I mean, his performance in the spring game was simply amazing. I mean, where do you see him sitting on the depth chart? Is that possible that he could be the number one wide receiver? Uh, I don't know if he'll be the number one wide receiver. I still think that's going to come down to Hill and Campbell. But if Dixon is healthy with his athleticism and speed. There's no way that Meyer's going to keep him off the field. And Meyer really liked uh, how he performed in the spring. And if that continues through fall camp and he can stay healthy, he's going to get on the field a lot. And if you take a look at Wilson's history in the past, he plays a ton of receivers. I mean, he's usually got five or six guys over 500 yards. I mean, he definitely has a go-to receiver, but he likes he likes his quarterback to spread the ball around. And if that continues, Dixon's going to have a good year. Absolutely. And I'm on the line with Thomas Sherlock. He covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, we do know that, like you said before, I mean, there was over 500 yards of total offense. Now, that does bring about questions at least in my case, were concerns about the secondary. Now, the secondary, of course, no one will doubt its talent, but it is only bringing back one starter in Webb. I mean, what were your thoughts on the secondary's performance? Because, I mean, the D-line is great, but the secondary definitely left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that that's going to be weaker than last last few few seasons for sure. But, you know, Sheffield, Webb, Fuller, uh, and, and probably Ward and whoever shakes that out for that last spot, they're going to be just fine because once you get into the regular season, that 
when they're rotating a defensive line that's just going to attack with great linebackers, they're going to protect them. Do I think they're going to be as good as last year? Uh, probably not, but they're probably not going to have to be either because the line and the linebackers are just going to stop everything. So um, if they can be 80% as good, uh, I think that's going to it's going to be just fine. And if the offense is better, and the defense won't be out there as much, so they'll be protected from a better offense and a what I consider probably the best defensive line rotation top eight guys in the country. The question remains, though, can, can they be the ball hawks like these guys Lattimore and, and Hooker were last year? I mean, turnovers were just key for this team, so can they maintain that level? Um, we'll see. Usually from year to year, you don't maintain the same turnover ratio. So if they can get close, then this defense is going to be nasty. Absolutely. And of course, we do know that teams oftentimes find themselves getting better as the season does progress. And I just did a, looked a glimpse at the schedule, and it's very likely that uh, the secondary will give its fair share of opportunity of practice games, in my own opinion, before they actually truly get tested. But one of the other positions that uh, me and you often disagree on is, you know, I talked about previously about how I thought that the leash on JT Barrett was going to be short. However, I think one of the most important positions, at least in Ohio State, is trying to figure out who is going to be that second-string quarterback because both Burrow and Haskins really look quite impressive. And if history's shown us anything, at least with the Buckeyes, is, I mean, you never know when that second quarterback may be needed. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, go down on any play. JT's pretty resilient. Um, he, he can play through being hurt, but if he goes down, yeah, I mean, that number two position, that's a, that's a battle because there's – and that probably would be a divided locker room over Burrow and Haskins because they both – but good. It just um I I would think that they would give the nod to Burrow right now just because he's got for his accuracy and uh he can run. He can kind of develop if a play breaks down and I think that's just important in Meyer's offense or for Meyer in general. Uh but it's hard to ignore Haskins cannon that he can just extend the field and get the ball down the field which is obviously has been lacking since uh, Devin Smith left you know, a few seasons ago. So I would probably give the nod to Burrow, um, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Haskins get it. That's going to be an interesting battle in August. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that this definitely was, I guess you could say, a unique week. Uh, we do know that one of Urban Meyer's former players, uh, died this weekend, of course. I'm talking about Aaron Hernandez. And it kind of brought back to the attention about the checkered pass of that 2008 Florida Gators recruiting class, although, of course, it definitely did win a lot of games. Uh, it definitely found a lot of those players found themselves, I think 41 of the 141 players found themselves arrested. However, since Urban Meyer has gone to Columbus, he really hasn't had that much of a problem in regards to players getting in trouble and having off-field distractions. How has he done things differently uh, to try to avoid uh, having those similar encounters that he had in games with? 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's been fortunate. I, I still think some of that is luck, and we're now entering that period where you're just kind of every coach dreads where it's just kind of that time between now and when the fall camp starts uh, when kids can get into trouble. But I, I just think you had a younger version of Urban Meyer that was completely zeroed in on one thing, and that was just strictly winning at all costs no matter what. And he cut some corners when it came to getting the players down there that he thought he needed to compete in the SEC. And then I think that year off and when he made the pact with his family, it just came back and he was able to reassess and look at some things that he didn't do well down there that he needed to change. And he stayed committed to that, and I think he's recruiting – the right players, but it's just ingrained in the culture that they need to take care of themselves and make the right decisions. Now, they haven't always done that. Carlos Hyde got into trouble a little bit. JT's been in some trouble. He's had some players. Bosa kind of, you know, uh, toted the line a little bit. But all in all, he's maintained a pretty clean program over the last five years. So I, I think it's just he he's trying to do it the right way this time, and he realizes that he can win uh, with the players that he has, and he doesn't need to uh, cut corners and maybe take some chances on some players that he probably shouldn't. And he's also been quick Absolutely. to kind of – he's been quick to root out players that may go down that path too. He gives them one chance, and if you know if they don't cut it, he cuts them loose. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that this spring and – has definitely been one that's quite impressive. However, we do know that practices will ensue and more questions will get answered. And as we grow that much closer to uh, the game between Ohio State and Indiana in week one of the college football season, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And I definitely want to have you on throughout the season as we continue to check on everything that's going on with them Buckeyes. Good. I appreciate it. Anytime. Now, of course, you know, Thomas definitely did bring up a great point that, when Urban Meyer initially started at Florida, he came from Bowling Green and went to Utah. He had a fire in regards to drive that drove him to be able to try to get any player that he could that could help him win a national championship. Of course, after winning those national championships, it does provide you an opportunity now where you can become more selective in regards to the players who you decide to bring on campus. However, just like Thomas said, Ohio State has definitely still had its fair share of off-field distractions. J.T. Barrett, of course, had its issue uh, being uh, intoxicated behind the wheel. I think was operating a vehicle while intoxicated. Carlos Hyde, of course, had his issues as well. But nevertheless, it's not been on uh, the magnitude of what took place uh, during uh, Urban Meyer's uh, time at Florida. And, of course, that did bring me back to what we're going to talk about tonight. Because it seems as if you have to ask the question. Now, of course, we do know that as adults, you're ultimately held responsible for the decisions that you make. However, as adults, we are also responsible for the culture and the environment that we bring individuals into. We saw that, of course, took place with Fox News and Bill O'Reilly. This is not going to be a politics show, no matter if you disagree or agree with it. And we saw currently, it made me think about about the landscape of college football. We heard news this week that prior to firing Art Browse, 
Baylor actually gave him $6.5 million. We saw, of course, what's going on right now at Alabama. Like I said, mentioned briefly, Quandro, former Alabama player, was found in a pretty compromising situation out in the woods, partially nude, begging for the police to shoot him. And then, of course, at Alabama, you had the issue with Reuben Foster, who recently just admitted to having a positive test for marijuana. Now, of course, it was due to the fact that it was a diluted sample. However, whichever way you look at it, it does bring about the question in regard to the environment that you are fostering in which young men with impressionable minds find themselves entering. Now, of course, we do know that Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, who I call the two kings of college football, they are definitely guys who champion for individuals getting second chances. And we all agree that people, of course, may not always get it right the first time, and they are definitely worthy of getting a second chance. However, we also do know that there are individuals and young men out there who probably do not deserve a chance at all. But you have to ask the question. Is the blood of the victims, the rape victims at Baylor, on the hands? If we're going to hold Art Ross, if we're going to hold Joe Paterno responsible for fostering an environment where which permitted such heinous acts to take place, that also has to apply to every college football coach around the country. Now, of course, I always love talking numbers. So I found some numbers on a statistic that was done by the San Jose Mercury News, where it found that in the year 2015 to 2016 college football season, the, the test was done in, during 2015-2016, over a five-year period, there were 927 arrests reported in FBS college football. That statistic said that that pretty much means that every other day, a college football player found themselves in handcuffs, found themselves in a mugshot, found themselves with a police record. Now, of course, we do know that at this particular time, young men find themselves free in their eyes when they go to college. They're trying to explore themselves, trying to get their own identities, but you have to ask yourself the question. If they stop the statistics that I just presented to you, that pretty much college campuses all over the country are opening up their campuses, are exposing their student bodies, are exposing individuals in the community to arrest just because these young men can run a certain speed, can block a certain way, and are just so talented that it causes these programs, these athletic directors, these coaches to be able to put the kibosh on the heinous acts that take place at their campus. You have to say to yourself, aren't these college programs, aren't these college football coaches that we love and adore so much, do they take in the blame for fostering an environment where these young men feel invincible? for fostering an environment where these young men believe that because of their abilities on the field, that they are treated differently, are given more chances 
than just a regular Joe Blow who just so happens to be a student body member at that prospective campus. Because you have to ask yourself, well, the issue with Aaron Hernandez, there are warning signs. There are warning signs before he signed with Florida. There are warning signs during that three years that he was on Gainesville campus. But instead of doing something about it, in pursuit of a national championship, in pursuit of his own validation after his time at Bowling Green in Utah, he turned a blind eye. Now, again, like I said, as an adult, we are all responsible for the decisions that we make. But also as an adult, we are also responsible for the environments that we foster which allow impressionable minds to believe that they're invincible. Now, of course, there's no way that I could sit here and say to you that if, in fact, Urban Meyer would have, let's say, kicked Aaron, Aaron Hernandez off the team, that things would have turned out differently. But you do have to ask yourself the question. If Aaron, Aaron Hernandez would have had some form of accountability during his time in Florida, would it have gotten this bad? Because it seems as if he had a posse at Florida, and the same posse that he had at Florida that was well-known by Urban Meyer, the staff at Florida, and also became well-known by the scouts who were evaluating him. Urban Meyer turned a blind eye. Urban Meyer continued to allow this young man, because of his athletic abilities, because of what he could do for him, because of Aaron Hernandez provided to the Gainesville football, to the Gainesville community as a football player, he turned a blind eye. Now, of course, Aaron Hernandez was acquitted of the double murder that took place in Florida. But again, you have to ask yourself the question, was there more that Urban Meyer could have done? I mean, if the reason why Aaron Hernandez dropped to the fourth round in the draft, despite having the talent of a first-round pick, that means that it was no secret. That means that it was widely known this guy had some issues. It was widely known that this guy was traveling in circles with people who, of course, meant no good to him and meant no good to the community at Gainesville, to the Florida Gators program, and also to Urban Meyer. But for the sake of a W, for the sake of a crystal ball, just so Jim Tebow to have someone to pass the ball to, Urban Meyer turned the ball back. So now when I say this, what do Bill O'Reilly, Aaron Hernandez, and the Buckeyes have in common? Just like Fox News created an environment where Bill O'Reilly made it feel, well, well it would seem as if it was okay for him to act the way he did. Urban Meyer did the same with the Bucs. Urban Meyer did the same with the Gators. He allowed Percy Harvard to jump off, curse out, and run practices. He had no control during his time in Florida. Now, of course, as Thomas Gerlach said, of course now, with a couple of championships under his belt, Urban Meyer is now able to be more selective. But again, I say to you, when you look at the numbers, and you see that over a five-year period, there were 927 arrests, which means that there was an arrest of a football player 
every other day. I mean, every other day. An individual, a woman, an unsuspecting student was put at risk so that particular coach could win a game, so that particular coach could get a contract extension, for that particular coach to be able to get an opportunity to go from Bowling Green to Utah to Florida to Ohio State. Because you have to ask yourself this question. If Urban Meyer hadn't turned a blind eye, where would Aaron Hernandez be now? And if Urban Meyer hadn't have turned a blind eye, ask yourself this question seriously. Would Urban Meyer be at Ohio State? Would Urban Meyer have been able to win enough games, to win national championships, to be able to compete with Nick Saban, who, of course, is no saint in his own, right? Who, of course, in my own opinion, I find me posing those same questions to him. Now, of course, the players on his team have yet to commit. His former former players from either Michigan State, from Kent State to Alabama have yet to commit such a heinous act of what took place with Aaron Hernandez. But nevertheless, you have to ask yourself the question, These so-called kings of college books, have they created an environment where only winning at all costs? Everybody is so quick to call out our bribes. But it's not like the formula of winning is any different. In order to win, you bring in players who, of course, may not be academically eligible. In order to win, you hand out punishments privately. You hand them out internally. So that way there's no liability. In order to win, in the case of Nick Saban, you allow players to continue playing despite the fact that he has multiple failed drug tests, Tim Williams. You allow these guys to continue playing, although they were arrested for carrying a handgun without a license on campus. In order to win and play in another national championship, throw your weight around in Louisiana to ensure that your promising left tackle and third-string safety and hoodie Jones are able to remain in school. But again, at what cost? At what cost? And then immediately, once you've utilized them and maximized everything that you get out of them, if they're lucky, if they've somehow been able to survive the three years of two-a-days, the three years of scathing without getting in too much trouble, then you go to the NFL. And then during the scout evaluation, these coaches get exposed for how they've allowed these players to continue to do heinous acts, continue to place young men, young women, and communities to where these college programs are at risk. I mean, just think about it. For Reuben Foster to have a positive test of marijuana, you have to ask yourself the question, has Ruben Foster missed any time during his three years at Alabama? I don't recall. Tim Williams, who admitted to multiple, fulfilling multiple drug tests, do you recall him missing multiple games? Do you recall him being suspended? Do you recall anything happening to him which, of course, would have hindered Alabama from having probably one of the most dominant defenses of all time last year? 
Do you recall? Oftentimes in our efforts to try to ordain these coaches as godlike figures, we oftentimes conveniently forget that how they got there. We conveniently forget that as they in their in their pursuit of championships, the lives, the victims that they continue to put at risk by choosing to turn a blind eye, by choosing to continue to bolster this air of invincibility amongst these young men because of their athletic ability and continue to uh, allow it to continue to persuade. Now, of course, you know, when you look at the landscape of college football, you look at the pressure that it takes to win. There's very few coaches who are able to supposedly do it the Larry Brown way, which is the right way, which, of course, is kind of hypocritical when you consider that Larry Brown has been suspended or fired for NCAA violations at every college stop that he's been at. But nevertheless, when the expectations at Ohio State, at Florida, at Alabama is to win, winning becomes an undiable craving that must be met. And unfortunately, it's met at the cost of innocent people being put at risk all because you can jump a certain distance, all because you can diagnose a certain tackle, all because your abilities on the gridiron far exceed the risk that you may place innocent victims at. And we and it happens all the time. And the only time we find ourselves getting fed up with it is that when it's placed in our face. Do you guys think that the Joe Mixon situation is the first time that it's happened? Do you guys really think that what took place with Joe Mixon at Oklahoma is an isolated incident? Do you guys believe that what took place at Penn State, what took place at Baylor, that those programs are the only places where that takes place? Oftentimes we find ourselves conveniently turning a blind eye because we don't want to feel uncomfortable, because we don't want to realize that these coaches are doing whatever it takes to win. But, you know, that's the current landscape of college football, and it's the ugly side that we don't want to acknowledge. It's the ugly side that we attempt to avert our eyes from. It's the ugly side that we would like to believe does not exist. However, in hindsight, I wonder will the day come when we find out we place a band, you know, since the NCA right now is all about modifying its rules. If they place a ban on internal disciplines, they place a ban and ensure that there's some form of transparency because ultimately transparency is needed for the safety of the students on those campuses and for the individuals in the communities who, of course, are unsuspected, unaware. The victims at Baylor, 52 women who, who claim to have allegations of rape, on campus, were walking around unaware, unaware 
that they were being pursued, unaware that because they chose to go to Baylor, because they chose to go to Alabama, because they chose to go to any college football campus across the country, that they potentially put themselves at risk of being a victim. And the only way that happens is because of these internal punishments, handling it in-house. And it's crazy. It makes you ask this one particular question. How bad does it have to get before these college coaches decide to dismiss it? How many chances do they actually get before it becomes too much to bear? Like I said in the opener, in 1994, Biggie Smalls came out with a song called One More Chance. How many chances is too many chances? Is one more chance just enough? In fact, some of these players who are now incarcerated, some of these players who now have criminal records, some of these players who, of course, have amazing athletic ability, if they were not given one more chance, not only would their life have been different, but also could the lives of the victims and the lives of the families that they impacted been different as well. Now, as I bring the show to a close, I want to remind you guys that remember that sports gives us an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. And again, I ask you, how many chances is too many? Because that one more chance has made a difference. Remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at EatDrinkSleepSports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.